Hey, this is Big Rev. Thanks for tuning in to Masterclass Theology, a weekly podcast where we study books of the Bible a verse at a time and apply it to our lives. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's rock. Well, welcome to Masterclass Theology. We have a very special opportunity. We are international today. Uh, I am Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. Live from Puerto Rico. Live from Puerto Rico. My goodness. And Mick has been up an hour, maybe not an hour more than me, but he's an hour ahead. So it's 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 a great opportunity. This is our first international podcast here, and happy Memorial Day to those of you listening. And we are very grateful for those who paid the ultimate price and to give us the freedoms that we have to be able to record and to be able to worship freely. And and we remember the um, we 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 link we link people who gave the ultimate sacrifice with people like Jesus. The greatest love of all is to die for your friends. And that's the, so if you're in the conversation with Jesus, then that's quite a sacrifice. And so yeah. we're very, we're very honored to be able to, uh, to speak a word of honor to you. Uh, but we, we come from Ephesians chapter six today, and our goal is to um, each of us have a nice stout cup of coffee. It's, it's early. It's early on Memorial Day here. And mm-hmm. we, but we wanted to make sure we, we can still record this week. And I'm so grateful to have my friend Professor D with me. Um, and in the early days of quarantine, back in 2020, we were recording this podcast in different cities. We yeah. this is the first time, right, that we recorded yeah. in a different country. Yep. So behold the wonder of the internet. So here I am in Los Estados Unidos, and and, <laughs> and Mick is in Puerto Rico. My yep. goodness. All right. Well, let's open the word prayer. And then, um, and they all, all have, I'll, I'll have Mick, Mick say a, a couple words about how things are going where he's at. Well, I look up the text real quick because I just forgot to open it up. God, th- <laughs> God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this opportunity for us to be able to teach your word and to be able to be guided by your word. We thank you for those who are listening to this podcast and those who are blessed uh, by their churches and by their small group ministries. God, it is such an honor to be able to study your word and to be able to uh, give you glory as we do so. We do that, Lord, by, by, by hearing your word and by believing what it says and by putting it into practice. And I pray that this morning, as we, we end the book of Ephesians, that we do right by your word, that, we, that, we, that we're faithful, and that, um, and Lord, that those of us listening, that, that we would be doers of the word. Mm-hmm. And this would be an opportunity for us to give you glory by how we respond to you. We are so thankful for you, God. We're thankful for the internet that makes a, a special podcast like this possible. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So on my end, I am good. Uh, we will start. We're going to be uh, last week. If you recall, we were, could we kind of land to the plane where we talk about submission and submitting to one another out of, you know, humble reverence to Christ. And then we, he, Paul started with uh, husbands and wives, or wives and then husbands and the, the two main parts of the family unit. And, and then today we're going to be with um, the other two parts of the family unit, which were children and the slaves. And this was the typical middle to upper class Roman family. And so we, we, they would have made up the rest of the family. So if, if any of you are balking at the fact that slavery is in the Bible, that was the world that Paul wrote in. Slavery was everywhere and slaves were part of the Roman family. And children, well, everyone's got children. So uh, in every culture, there's always going to be children somewhere. So we're going to be, a, so we're going to start with those children. So this is Ephesians 6, 
one to four. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Professor D, what is the expectation regarding these children? I think we need to start off by saying that the family is the precursor to the nation. Authority and respect begins at home. Um, that's why in the previous section that we wrapped up last week, you know, it, it was important for God to establish the center of the family, which is the marriage and with, with its proper roles and, and its functions um, and, and to set the pattern for what the family would be, the building block of society. So respect for all authority begins at home. If the children don't grow up respecting, honoring their parents, they're, they're, they're going to be far less likely to mature into the into people who respect authority and, and, and which includes you know government authorities and even god mm. Mick, we're all we're, we are all enjoying the birds in the background the puerto rican <laughs> birds that are singing their praise right now that's right <laughs> how nice yeah I, I found it interesting that in 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 the ancient roman world that fathers had immense authority over their kids and children were kind of like their possession. And the idea here is that dad in the Roman household was essentially like God. He was the one who was just in charge of everything and the kids yeah. feared dad. And so I, I like what Paul is saying here where it's like, I want you to learn. But, you know, Mick, you and I both know that there's times we've had to learn where it's felt like we've been forced to learn and that this is okay. It, under threat, like you're going to learn this. And so I think what Paul might be saying here is that don't act like that. Actually want to learn. is yeah. don't, don't live a life under your dad where you just have to learn from him. And then yeah. it's a very you know, rigid, you know, tyrannical moment there. But no, you actually want to learn. Yeah. That's a great way to submit to meet your dad. And I think that ties in with the promise he gives. He quotes Deuteronomy 5.16. What's that all about, Mick? Okay, well, that could have just said simply, children, honor your parents, period. <laughs> but he doesn't. I mean, he, he, he provides an incentive as to why with this commandment as the first to receive a promised incentive. I think it has to do because it's the first uh, of the Ten Commandments that is actually directed towards interpersonal relationships with each other, whereas the first four commandments are directed directly to God. Um, so for all of us, the, the first relationship that we're, we're, we're all going to experience is with our parents. So that, and I think this is why, I mean, it's the one that starts off the list. He didn't even start with, do not cover your neighbor's wife. He starts off with children, honor your parents. Hmm. And it will go well with you, you know. So, yeah. Yeah, obey, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. You may live long in the land. Okay, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what's his command to fathers here, Mick? Well, that's an ex excellent question. Um, I think a, a child's first concept of, of God really comes from their parents. You know, a, a child doesn't really know how to, to abstract it initially. So their first image, to all, for all intents and purposes, we are God to our, to our children, especially when they're, that they're smallest and tenderest. So as they grow, you know, obviously that they start getting it, but it is still our responsibility as parents to represent God correctly. Most people's concept of God is informed by how they view their parents. So if they view their parents as, as angry and strict and authoritarian, they're, 
dollars to donuts, they're going to they're going to be holding that image of God himself. If they believe God is in the, if they believe their parents are aloof, their idea of God is going to be that their parents are aloof. So the idea of provoking our children has to do with us also being not being unreasonable, rigid and domineering, because that leads to resentment and anger, you know, and, and, and hatreds toward towards authority and of, of, of love and respect. Um, we, we don't want to do that. That's not what we want to do. And more importantly, God doesn't want us doing that. We need to be gracious like the father in, in the son of the prodigal son. Mm. That's what we need to be like. Yeah, I, I think there was a real opportunity for the Christian father to be different than the, the, the pagan father. Mm. And like, like, like I kind of mentioned out of turn before, it, it, in the Roman world, you know, daughters weren't that important. In fact, many times if a Roman family, at least we, we have records of this, if, if, if mm -hmm. a Roman family found out that they were having a girl, then she was exposed. They, they just kind of put her out in the wilderness somewhere and she was just there to die. It was kind of a, a form of, you really can't call that abortion, you'd call that more infanticide, but yeah. intentional, you know, leaving the, the baby to the young, because they didn't want a daughter. And so the fathers had this immense power in the Roman household and like you mentioned, make they they the first opportunity to see God, or in the Roman sense, the gods is all coming down through dad. And so, children were basically meant to be, uh, you know, maybe seen and not heard, and usually not even seen. They just kind of existed as possessions. And 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 this is, I, I like I like the two words Paul used here. I've got a note here. He uses the words. Uh, what were the two words he used in our verse? Uh, fathers. Bring them up in discipline and instruction. And, and yeah. I've got a note about those two Greek words. Uh, the first word means um, it's it's not just teaching and learning facts. My note says it is about the formation of the person. Mm -hmm. So so dads were involved in taking their kids and forming them and making them into to, to, to people. And the actual quality of a person this it, uh, a child would become is formed on dad. And the second of the Greek words Paul used, and these actually, from what my note says, that these were famous in, in Paul's world, that dad did the first one and dad did the second one. And every Roman dad knew these two words as a responsibility. The first one was character formation. And the second one was admonishing. So mm -hmm. dad was responsible for discipline. And dad was responsible for saying, hey, you knock this off and you knock that off. And we look at our world today and we see things happen that are just horrible. We wonder, where were the, where were the dads at? Yeah. Where was the father in this person's life when when we, we read of mass shootings and all these things? We just yeah. wonder where dad was, because in the, in Paul's world, these things would be put in line because of dad. Dad would be able to admonish and, encur and, enc and encourage. And Paul's telling these Christian dads, you have an opportunity on the front lines of your family to be different than your Roman counterparts. Yeah. There's something about you, just like the, the, the submission of the wives, just like the self-sacrifice of the husbands. Yeah. Here you are, dads. You have an opportunity to be the tyrant like every other Roman dad is, or you can be intentional. Yeah. And I think that's really cool. I think Paul- It really is. On the front lines. Yeah. So yes, that's chill, start with children and, and, and also dealing with dad here. But yeah. I, I, I really like the formation. And coming off of the fact that he started off with, with how the husband is with a wife, now he's right. working with parents and children because there there is a there is a progression here, right? Yeah, and, and you know what? And, and I, I love you said that because the the progression I see make is a progression of kind of like a self sacrifice mm -hmm. of, or restraining yourself. So it, yeah. 
you see it in the wives having to submit. You see in the, the, the husband having to lead by sacrifice. Yeah. And now you're seeing children are, are having to, you know, sacrifice, you know, whatever desires they have to not obey dad. Yeah. And dad has to sacrifice whatever, you know, anger he may feel like he could exert in the household. I mean, there's some intentionality with this. This did not just oh, some yeah. nebulous kind of, okay, I, I just got to give up my life here. But yeah. I, I like that. I like the progression. There's, there's something yeah. going on here with Paul that he's ascribing, he's ascribing the typical Roman family, but in a typical, in an intentionally different way. Yeah. And so I think it would be a vibrant illustration and witness to all the Roman world around us. Yeah. And dads, dads were on the front lines. Fathers needed to be intentional. And so five to nine here, we continue. And this translation has bond servants, but it's, it's, it's slaves. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Wow. So, so Mick, just, just, we didn't plan this question, but this is one that's in your wheelhouse. What do we do with the fact that slavery is in the Bible? Does this make the Bible, does it discredit the Bible? Does this make the Bible morally weaker? Like, what do we do with the fact that Paul's having a right to a slave and a master? No, not at all. In fact, you know, one of the things that we need to understand is the fact that slaves are even being addressed was an elevation because slaves were never addressed in any other documents in that time. They were never talked to. In other words, they weren't even considered as people, really. They were they were possessions. The fact that, that Paul's even addressing a slave, if a slave who, let's say, heard this back then would, would be would love this because of the fact that he's like, wow, God is thinking about me. God is taking care of me. Um, and the other thing is it, it speaks to that God speaks to our circumstances. we got to remember when this was written, that was the reality. That was the dominant reality of, of, of the way commerce and the, and the world went. And, and, and God doesn't mean that he condones it. In the Old Testament, we saw that there were polygamous marriages even among God's kings. You know, God never gave that a stamp of approval. Right. But he, you know, again, Imagine if God brought out every sin that we have done. Wow. I mean, we, we would all day. Never, nothing would ever get done. Life right. would never move forward. You know, this is where you, you have to be very, we, 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 we take it for granted. Everybody has this kind of image of God being this mean tyrant that's ready to smite you in any given second. And he's not. He allows so many things in his patience right. towards us to, to slide. I mean, it's not that he won't deal with it. He deals with everything in his time. But, right. but God's first thing is to start off with mercy. But again, it speaks to the reality of the world they were living in. They, they don't deny it. They, they acknowledge it and they, and they work with it. Yeah. I, I really like that. Make, I really like how you put that And for our listeners. That was, that was really good. What, what professor D just told it, because there, there are some of us who are, who are reading chapters like this and, and we try to view this chapter through the lens of, of our current situation and our current. And, and we are so grateful for, Christians like William Wilberforce, who, with his influence, slavery was ended. So slavery has always existed in some form, and but it was intentional Western Hemisphere Christians 
who mm -hmm. intentionally ended it. And yeah. so that is something that is, is actually a blessing that, that the Christian faith has brought to the world. But we're not there yet. Paul yeah. is writing in the midst of the Roman Empire where slaves were, were, were they were part of the family many times. Yeah. So if Paul's speaking to the family unit here. They weren't intentionally mistreated because you you really leaned upon your slaves for many things. They, But they were, so we, we want to think of, you know, 19th century America kind of thing. Well, it may not be just like that, but it's really tempting to write off the Bible as, ah, oh, this is a bunch of hooey because they mentioned slavery. And I, as Mick said, I think it actually lends credibility to the fact this is a real document written to real people in a real time of the world. And this is what was going on. And, and God entered into that situation and God is seeking transformation. There's something to be said about that. Yeah, no, I challenge anybody who's listening to this, look at ancient documents and you will see slaves are never addressed. Mm. No, that's, that's mind blowing. No other ancient document ever says anything to slaves. This is the only thing that addresses slaves. The word of so God. So how does he? How does he address them then, Mick? So what? What is the expectation for the family slave here? Well, I think I'm going to begin with um, something um, kind of a, a, a different thing, a little bit, just to kind of set it up. Um, you know, before uh, answering that, we need we need to be clear about something. In, in slaves, Paul is addressing the the worst and the least dignified form of employment. So we need to understand that this is basically employment. If slaves then are expected to to do this, no one who is an employee of any kind is exempt. So going back to 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 this to, to the question um, regarding the parallels, um, I'm going to parallel it with with uh, Paul instructing wives. You know. Is there similarities between what Paul tells wives and what got, what what he's telling instructing the slaves and and in the and because uh, regarding submission and 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 I say yes because ultimately all submission is towards Christ mm. and 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 that's just it submission is never a statement of, of of human worth or dignity it's always about roles or function to accomplish a unified purpose we talked about this in last week's wicked lesson uh, when Jesus himself who's equal to God, the father in every sense, willfully submits to, to the father, to, to accomplish our salvation. Mm -hmm. at, you know, at, so, so as to set an example of how, how patterns of submission in relationships work, God himself sets the tone of unity. That, that, that's what submission is about. Submission is about unity. Uh, it's of, of God taking the distincts, the difference and bringing them together as one and, and for, and of submission for accomplishing perfect unity, uh, unity, harmony, submission, all these things go together hand in hand. Right. And you know, I realize I'm not trying to make, make a moral equivalence here, but we may not understand what it means to be a slave today, but there are many of us who, um, and I'm, I'm not one of them. So those of you who know I'm a pastor in a church that you might want to go, oh, who's your boss? But there's some of us who are listening who have bosses who at times can be like tyrants. Yeah, they they expect things of you as an employee, and I think unreasonable it's, demands, yeah, unreasonable the, expectations, unreasonable, unreasonable demands. So here you are, you're a slave in the Roman world, and and what what I found mind blowing is that every other slave and every other family was they they were the they, they despised their masters and they were the ones that, um, yeah, this absolute probably couldn't stand them and just didn't want to be a part of them and they were like i'm a slave and there's the master and it's mind-blowing that paul's telling the christian slave 
don't despise your master. Mm-hmm. And that would have been something that no other slave. So the Christian slave yeah. already had new instruction. So those of us who have hard bosses, we can put them ourselves in their shoes for yeah. one second because how you respond to your boss, even if he's being a tyrant, is have your attitude like you're responding to Christ. Yeah. Because that's really what he's telling the slaves here. It's like, hey, so you got a slave who's really being cruel to you. You as a Christian slave, you now can submit to this master just like you're submitting to Christ. So he's telling, he told the wives the same thing, you know, to, 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 to submit to your husbands and everything as you submit to Christ. So there, there, there's a comparison right there that Paul's giving yeah. himself. Yeah. And, and then he's got something to say about the masters here too. And so well, Mick, I, what does he say to the masters? Actually, I kind of want to also elaborate on what you were saying prior to that. Oh, sure. So yeah, it's important that Paul's saying that because we need to work as, as if we were working for God. Because in the ultimate sense, we are. I mean, that's just really it. Everything we do, if you think about it, everything we think, say, and do, you know, to borrow a little bit from Colossians chapter three, is an expression of worship to God. It's the living sacrifice of, of Romans 12.1. In fact, Peter, in 1 Peter 2.18 and 19, he actually goes there where, where you took the plane right now, where he, he will go on to say that even when our masters are harsh, that we need to submit to them. See, God sees that as a sacrifice, and in due time, he also assures us that he will reward that sacrifice. Yeah, say, more, say more about that, because the, the text here talks about getting a reward, yeah. whether you're slave or free. What's yeah, and in due time, God will reward that, that sacrifice, and, and while God doesn't owe anybody anything, again, it has to do with the fact that, the, that he's abundant in grace, and he wants to reward us. Mm. He wants to reward us, and Peter actually develops this a little bit more when he talks about that. This is going to happen when Jesus, at Jesus's arrival, you know, and I think we need to know that because sometimes we will not receive the rewards of those things in this life. Sometimes we're fortunate enough that God will allow that blessing to, to, to happen in this life. But more often than not, I, I, I really believe that it's meant for, for the next life. And I think this is where we need to hold on to that hope. We need to hold on to these assurances that God gives us. I know I do. Um, you know, God is the God of, of reaping what is sowed. When, when it comes to rewards and again god loves incentivizing us as his children he really does um yeah as far as the question about um the command to the slave owners as, as you were asking earlier is that, that because Paul it's right, not just slave owners this if we're going to understand the context yeah this, bosses, master. Not, this is a christian slave owner because yeah who, who yeah. would be who are all these people it would be a christian wife Yes. So in the wife section, Paul's writing to Christians. He's writing yes. to a church. So it would be a Christian wife to submit. It would be a Christian right. husband to, to, to kind of love sacrificially, to be a Christian yes. child, to, to, to follow dad a certain way. It'd be a Christian father to instruct mm-hmm. a certain way. Now a Christian slave, yes. now a Christian master. So if you can, if you can wrap your mind around a Christian slave. Yeah. Owner, and, you know, again, as we said, is. slaves represents the lowest form of employment. So it's employees and masters represents the highest form of a boss. So it's, it's also, it's employers and bosses. So what they, does he tell? He, what does he, do the same. he says, do the same. So what is it to do the same? Masters like the slaves are to do the Lord's will with a good will, like, like husbands, like parents, the masters, while in a position of authority, they need to remember that they too are slaves of, to God. Mm. We are all slaves to God. Right. God is the master of us all. Uh, Romans 8 1 therefore there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus does that sound like God is is around threatening us Mm. you think about it there is no condemnation 
for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's not going around threatening us as children. The closest thing that comes to us as a threat from God uh, as his children is, is that we risk losing rewards. That's the closest thing we get as a threat from God, you know, and God wants to give us. But, but that, but that isn't so much a threat so much as it is an incentive. And that's what we have to see it as. It's an incentive to encourage us to, to hang in there, to live, to persevere, to live, as Paul wrote earlier, in a manner worthy of the calling that he talks about. Not because we're going to lose salvation, but because we're going to compromise some of the good. We're going to sacrifice some of the good that God wants to give us. Yeah. Uh, and again, he talks about that. You know, it was in Ephesians 4.1 where he talks about that. Wow. Yeah. yeah. The Christian slave owners and the slaves, I mean, they, they may not be equal in, in, in terms of their society. Mm -hmm. where one was clearly a master one was clearly a slave but in terms of christ they're yeah. equal and yeah. there, there there is there there's there's a quality there in terms of they have one they each even though the slave owner is master in an earthly sense over the slave especially in the in the roman world they're both they're both submitting to the master and so yeah. Paul, paul's reminding them as a hey, hey slave owners you you belong to christ so you got to remember that your master is also his master and you're not the ultimate master Christ is. And yeah. so you, you need to keep that perspective. There's some, you need to stay intentional about that. So how you treat them, you need to treat them in the way that also honors Christ, yeah. which you know, I was just mind blowing in his I was just thinking as we're reading these sections right now, and I'm like thinking about how the Bible influenced other things later. If this is like an amazing system of checks and balances <laughs> before the U S constitution, came up with this great thing, uh, you know, in, in our society of a system of checks and balances so that nobody ever overstepped their, their bounds. God is doing it right here in these relationships. Wow. It's, 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 it's just my, yeah, mind blowing how this might have, how this transformed the culture around them, that yeah. there was one group of people who did things intentionally different. Mm -hmm. And those were the Christians. Yeah. And so that would have been huge. And yeah. so here we are at our day and we're reading this and we're like, okay, I now need to be intentionally different. Yeah. I, I, I can't just march by the beat of the drum of my culture because if they did that, then, then, then none of their relationships would be different. They would just be in the world and of the world. Yeah. Nothing would ever change. And, and transformation came because these families we're different and yeah. God used that, those differences. Wow. Well, a couple of great opening things here, the kids and, 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 and father, and we have the slaves and slave owners. And now those of you who are, are been looking forward to Ephesians six, you probably are looking forward to the armor of God part. So we got to get to the armor of God here. Yeah. Drum roll. All right. So 10 to 20, I'm going to read it all as one big chunk because usually that's, it is. That's how Paul wrote it. Yeah. He didn't have any big numbers or small numbers. Okay. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace and all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also, and, and, and Paul gives a personal prayer request. And also pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Wow. That's very famous chapter there. Very famous verses. Make as you look at the armor, it, just in general, what seems to be the point of the armor of God? Well, the point to paraphrase that patron saint Pat Benatar, life is a battlefield. As as God's children, um, we we are always the devil's target. And if you notice, three times in this text, there is a either the exact word or a variation of the word "stand" is there. So that we are able to stand. And while we may not be able to, while he may not be able to do us any harm in the ultimate sense, he can he can sure as heck neutralize us. And to be clear, none of us has the power to do anything against Satan. Just like Satan doesn't have the power to do anything to us, we don't have the power to do anything to Satan. But God does. And, and that's why we rely on his strength. Right. Yeah, tell us more about that. Well, how how, how is it? Be strong in, in his mighty power. So what's going on? With, what, what's his strength? His strength? Yeah. How do, how, we, how do we understand that? So, so basically, we're putting on armor, and we're expecting now to be the strong ones. We're expecting to go out, and even even like the word used for the, the, the sword was more of the dueling sword versus the long defensive sword. Yeah. So, so it's like we're expected to, to be strong and to stand, but is the is the perspective my strength? No, no, not at all. It's it's, all it's it's my reliance and my dependence on him. Hmm. That's what it comes down to. That that's how he works his strength through us by us depending on him. You know, we 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 don't have any power. We're we are the 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 extension cord. He he's the outlet. He's the power. Uh, it, like he's producing the juice. You know, in, in, in plumbing terms, we're just the, the conduits at best. A conduit isn't the thing that produces the power. The power comes from a, from a different source. And God is, is the source of that power. Mm. Yeah, so, so we're, we're strong in his strength, not, mm -hmm. not in ours. So, we're, we, right. so essentially, we're just, we're, this, is, this is about Jesus. And mm. all right, so I've got a, I've got a note here from, this, this goes back to, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians in, 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 in chapter one, Paul said, okay, so uh, uh, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all the rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come. He put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here we are. It's like, that is the reality of the Ephesians face that Christ yeah. is victorious, that yeah. Christ is seated in the heavenly places. So when these heavenly forces are wanting to have spiritual warfare against lowly us, we don't fight in our power as in, I've got this, you know, kind of like yeah. I'll hold my beer. I'm going to go attack him now. No, no, no. It's like, we're strong now in that reality. We're yeah. strong in his power that he's already accomplished it. It's like in a, in, a, in a revelation standpoint, the major theme of the book seems to be to him who overcomes, yeah. speaking to Christians to be overcomers. Yeah. And you get the chapter 12 is like, mm -hmm. they overcame by the blood of the lamb. It's yeah. like that God has already accomplished the victory. And so we now, but I love your illustration. We are, but extension cords. He is the outlet. 
that, that yeah. that's a great thing because we're just extensions here. So we're just, we're trusting in Jesus mm-hmm. and, and we're depending upon his power and we're standing firm. We're able to, somebody, so you may not feel Christian listening to this, that you have much power. You may not feel like you're much to write home about. You may feel like the terriers are nipping at your heels. That life is throwing you a curveball, whatever illustration you want, that you're weak, that you're nothing. But remember, you belong to Christ and we stand firm in his power. Yeah. And, Who's the enemy, Mick? Who's he talking about here? Oh, he, he's, he's clearly talking about Satan and, and his demonic forces. You know, in, in everything in life, there, there is a spiritual undercurrent. I don't want to over-spiritualize everything, but there is a spiritual dimension to, to everything we do in this life. You know, again, when we're talking about work, what are you doing? It's an expression of worship to God as well. It's not just about, you know, bringing home the Benjamins, so to speak. Mm. It's also an act of worship to God, you know, because this represents the kingdom of heaven. We are representatives of the kingdom of heaven. We're called to be salt and light at all times, not right. Not only in particular settings. It's who we are. And it's appropriate here because Paul is very yeah. explicit. Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That he's, he is talking spiritual warfare. So it, it's, it's really tempting, as you said, to go, oh, the devil's oppressing me. Well, that may not be the case. You may have a yeah. sin problem you need to deal with. But but no, in this case, in this chapter, yeah. Yeah. this is, I mean, yeah. yeah, I mean, this is it's, it's pretty intentional. Um, but yeah, so the armor pieces here. So does anything yeah. stand out to you? Uh, I, who they seem to they seem to have elements of character ascribed to them, you know. And 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 is this really about mine or wh- whose character do these armor pieces represent? No. Well, the, the, first of all, these are God. Rep, they represent God. Just let's start off with the second part of the question. These all represent God. Let's and let's talk uh, unpack them just really briefly. So the belt of truth. The idea is that behind the belt of truth is that. Uh, the, the actual wording is gird our loins. That is, in order to not trip over our tunic, we put on the belt of truth, which is which is our commitment to the truth. Truth is what keeps us from tripping over. So that we, and why is it important not to trip over? So that we can stand our ground when we're attacked. The breastplate of righteousness. The purpose of the breastplate is to guard what? What's in our? What's in our? What's the most important thing in our torso, our hearts? It's, right. it's in saving us. God has given us Jesus's righteousness. Let's be clear about that. It's not even our righteousness. We're putting on Jesus's righteousness. We put on the, the breastplate of righteousness that God has given us, which essentially guards our heart from Satan's attack. When, when we choose to live in a manner worthy of a calling, that's the putting on of, of the breastplate of, of righteousness, uh, of that very salvation and righteousness that God has given us. God, God has given it to us and we need to put it on. I mean, if we're smart, we put it on. Um, the shoes of the gospel of peace. This one's very cool. To understand this, we, we actually have to kind of understand what is it that the Roman soldiers really wore so that it makes better sense. So they wore these shoes basically with, with, with cleats or with nails. They, they were the boots with, with nails is what they were. And again, not very different when, when an athlete, especially like a soccer player, is running the, the, the field with, with his, his cleats on the shoe. The idea is so that he doesn't fall so easily for better gripping to to. to to get from getting knocked over again notice all these things is to keep you standing and not knocked over when when the enemy attacks and that's the important part when the enemy attacks uh at the heart of the gospel message is is, is what we is that we are at peace with god this truth helps us to stand up against against the enemy uh the shield of faith in ancient times if you guys have seen movies for, of gladiators from back when soldiers carried a large shield which was designed really to protect the whole body and it, and it was really the first line of defense for a soldier under attack. And in other words, the first line of defense against the enemy's advances uh, against his lies is to trust in God. Mm. You know, the beginning, you know, it all starts with trusting God, you know, 
the helmet of salvation. It's similar to the breastplate of righteousness idea that, that it guards our, where the breastplate guards our heart, this helmet of salvation guards our minds. The two principal targets that an enemy is going to want to attack in the battlefield is either you're going to go for your heart or he's going to go for your head, whichever he can get at. And in other words, we need to be continuously mindful of our salvation to, to shield us from the enemy's lies. And, and this kind of reminds me of Romans 12, too, where, got, where Paul says, tells us to, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, we talked about how the mind is the battlefield in, our, in the Christian walk of the enemy. You know, that, that those saved, that we, those who are saved, we who are children of God, those who are, as Romans 8, 1 says, no longer under God's condemnation or God's wrath, those who are saved by grace through faith, as it said in this particular letter, that we need to be transformed by that, by the renewing of that mind, the sword of the spirit, in other words, the word. For this, all we need to do is just picture Jesus in the wilderness, those 40 days. He was, first of all, let's keep this in mind. What happened? Jesus was led there by the spirit. He did not go out there, oh, let me go pick a fight with Satan. That's not what Jesus went out to do. Let me go battle Satan. He didn't say that. You know, the spirit led him and put him where he does, just like he does with all of us. He places us where he wants us. But, but temptation came his way just the same. And just as it comes to us, but more importantly, Jesus was ready. The, the devil attempted Jesus three times with lies, and Jesus counters him with what? The truth of God's word, truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation. This is all the things, and the spirit himself. They all represent God in our lives. Mm. Uh, and two last things I want to say here. First, the armor of God is not a mix and match option. Paul says put it on. It's an imperative. Put on the whole thing. And he mentions the right. whole armor of God, because he wants to make clear that we're not knuckleheads who, who decide, oh, that the, the helmet's too hot and heavy. I'm not going to wear it today. You know, or, oh, you know, I don't want to wear the breastplate because it's just too burdensome. No, he says to put on the whole armor of God twice. And, and once anything is repeated, you know, it's important. And secondly, right. Christ handles the offense. We talked about the victory of where we, the might came from earlier, from chapter one, that victory, Christ handles the offense. We play defense. Let Jesus handle the office. Notice Paul doesn't tell us to go out and fight the enemy, but he instructs us to stand firm, to hold our position. As you mentioned also earlier, we have a short sword, which is more used for defensive purposes, even though it has an offensive kind of dimension to it, but it's primarily a defensive weapon. Would you say Christians are at a disadvantage, even though the power is great out there and that we can't possibly stand one-on-one -on -one against Satan ourselves? Are we at a disadvantage or are we, are we not at a disadvantage? We're not. Honestly, you know, greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. Amen. You know, that's really what it comes down I to. I think our listeners need to hear that because yeah. even though we're up against, even if, if Paul is literally meaning here that you're being attacked by Satan, so you're at it, you know, Peter would describe him as a roaring lion seeking yeah. to devour. The goal is not for you to go out and fight him, but just remember, if you stand firm and mm -hmm. you stand in Christ and his mighty power, you are not yeah. at a disadvantage. And the idea of the Roman world is that Whenever they marched in a line and whenever they locked their shields and whenever they had their studded shoes and whenever they marched forward, they didn't lose. There, yeah. there was a unity involved there that whenever they stayed together and watched each other's backs and so the guy to your right and to your left and they marched forward together, there's a really good image for the church here. Yeah, so if Paul's talking about standing firm, like they're marching together, yeah. they didn't really lose. And so this would be a great illustration for the Christian to stay to stay with you. The great theme of this book is unity. Be unified and be, but you be unified in the right thing in Christ. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, even though this is more of a, a Greek example, you know, anybody that's seen the movie 300, which is kind of a, a, a an exaggerated thing, but again, it's based on a true event. 
they were able to hold off the invasion because they were a unified front, the Greeks. And basically, let's face it, they, they all had similar practices during warfare, but the Greeks did that exactly too. They held their position. They stood their ground. And that's what we as Christians need to do. We stand our ground. For those, So Paul had two things on his mind. We know whenever he wrote this, first of all, he, he was in chains. So mm -hmm. he might've had a fully clad Roman soldier, you know, a few feet away from him. He could be looking at those armor pieces all day long. I'm sure he may, the, the, the Roman soldier may have not had the full you know, shield that was named after a door, but, but who knows? He would see those Roman pieces. He understood the Roman world unlike anyone else did. So Paul had that on his mind. But the other thing is, and for further research listeners, go back to Isaiah 11 and Isaiah 59, Isaiah 52. In those three chapters, you'll find verses like uh, breastplate of and helmet of salvation. You'll, so Paul got this from his Isaiah as well. So yeah. God has already talked about elements of his character. It's really what it's about in, in Isaiah is that Yahweh is the divine warrior. And yeah. so he's the one doing the fighting. Yeah. And, and this same Yahweh is now expecting us in Christ to stand firm. And to stand firm, especially a chief way we stand firm, Professor D, is in prayer. Yeah. What does he say here about prayer? Well, let me let me go into a little something. There, there's that one song. When I fight, I I I I I stand on my I get on I, my I, knees. I fight on my knees with my hands lifted high. Yeah, I, the battle belongs to God. The battle yeah. belongs to God. I mean that that's just like right there. And we we talked about this in the previous lesson. Why hymns and spiritual songs and songs are yeah. songs like that are important because they're they're a good quick way of reminding us of these truths. Now, the prayer is about complete reliance on God. Again, ours is a defensive posture. We, we take all matters to God. Um, to pray at, at all times means to be in a continual relationship, continual dependence on God. You know, the moment I take my plug off the, the, the outlet, my device is starting to lose juice. It is starting to lose juice. The only way it has that juice is by being in connection. No, and that's just really it. I mean, look at what Paul says in, in verses 19 and 20. Paul himself is, you know, is asking for prayer on his behalf, not to be free. And notice he's not asking to be freed from prison, but to proclaim the gospel boldly. And even Paul, and I, I think that's a great example because even Paul needed boldness. You're like saying Paul needs boldness. It's like, I saying, it's like saying Peter needed boldness. So Peter I mean, was always seriously, bold. you know, like <laughs> Paul needed boldness from God. You're getting the oracles from God and you need boldness, wow. you know, so, so much so that he even reached out to who? To people like us, the other believers for prayer, to join him in praying. I mean, this, I mean, if that doesn't accentuate the importance of prayer, I, I don't know what else will. Mm. How important is prayer regarding the spiritual warfare nature of the chapter? Oh, completely. I mean, honestly, the, the way that we have a relationship with God is through prayer. How can we have a relationship with God, with our Father, if we're not in, in communication with him? Mm. not only is it communication but that that is also our dependence on him you know right I mean, it, it, it is vital for, for for any christian organism you know there there if you're not praying you know it's like a jeff foxworthy things you may not be a christian i like how paul seems to be inviting christians into the nature of the ministry so you may not mm -hmm. feel like some of our listeners may not feel like well i'm not a pastor i'm not teaching a class I don't think I'm doing much for God, but I tell you what, Paul would disagree with you because Paul is inviting all the Christians now to pray. Mm -hmm. so you now get to participate in that evangelism. You're yeah. praying for Paul's words, 
and so that he would then go and preach so that he's, he's telling the Christians of his day, now join that evangelistic effort by joining me in prayer. There's something about prayer that allows us to join the mission field. Yeah. And even though we're not boots on the ground in certain areas, we get to join, we get to participate in the ministry yeah. of prayer. Prayer is not some toss away. It's no. an integral part of actually participating with the ones who are boots on the ground. It's a great unifier. Again, going with the theme of this book, it is something that unites us all. Prayer. Amen. You know? It's so good. It's, it's what we get to do. To, we, that's how we get to participate. So prayer is not just something, okay, let's just pray before the meal in Jesus' name. Amen. No, let's quickly stuff our face. No, in, in general, prayer is a way. I mean, you could argue that this whole chapter may have an offensive weapon, but that offensive weapon is prayer in Jesus' name. And yeah. it's still not us doing it. Right. But that might be the way we would push back is through prayer, through our standing firm and through prayer. And yeah. those are two, like the big commands of the chapter to put on the armor, to yeah. stand firm and now to pray. Now, wow. I mean, that is, yeah. I mean, that, that, just, that, just, stands, that just stands out to me. I mean, this is yeah. the, the Christians, though they're getting their tails whipped, you know, the, the most Satan can do is try to try to take back territory that's already been conquered. And we get to stand we've, we've seen it in the life of Job. Satan can't do diddly squat unless God allows it. Right. And when All God right. allows it is because he knows what he's doing. The line I like to say is that at the cross and at the, at the empty tomb, it's like Satan's been fully and finally defeated. All, yeah. all he can do now is the last gasp of an already defeated foe. Now he, he can still, you know, throw some punches, but it's just a last gasp. It's yeah. like his, his doom is certain. So he's just. I mean, he, I, he, I, I'll he, even he, take it back a little bit, Joel. I mean, the moment Jesus says it is finished, mm. his butt was whooped. Right. Once that, that veil wrote, tore from the top to bottom, he lost. The, the resurrection was just basically the evidence of that. And that, and that evidence was for us. Yeah. I agree. For us, the evidence, so that we would have something to hold on to, so we would have something to believe in. Mm. But the truth is that victory happened the moment Jesus says it is finished. And Amen. then when Satan saw what happened, he thought he was like, he, he, I'm sure that in, in his boots, he was like, what just happened here? I, I thought we won, but it looks like we lost. Right. And then that's what happened in, in the spiritual realm. No, since, I mean, it, it, Romans even explains if in Jesus's death, we are saved. It says right at, right there that in, in his death, we are saved. How much more the emphasis is that the resurrection just kind of really just fast forwards that, you know, he could have resurrected at the end times with the rest of us, but he chose to do it there so that yeah. we would have the evidence. In, in that regard, then every time you take the Lord's Supper, it's it's if you can think of Ephesians six is you're proclaiming his death until he comes. And so you're yeah. proclaiming the victory is really yeah, what exactly. Doing. Beautifully put. You I mean, took words right out of my mind. That's it, man. That means I had a smart moment. Like if I took words out of your mind. Uh, so I, I wanted to mention, I, I have occasionally, so we must have people in our church family with a Catholic background because I, I, I occasionally get called to come over to a house or to an apartment and they want me to do an exorcism. They want me to, and, and they want me to pray over parts of their house or Maybe there's a, I, I, I kid you not, I went out to, over to an apartment one time and, and the person said, I, I don't feel any presence on this wall or that wall, but this particular wall right here in this room is where I feel all the demonic activity. I'm like, well, what do you do with a moment like that? Exorcism is kind of like Hollywood has ran with that. And it's like, we're not in the time of Christ anymore. So, so in those moments like that, what, what, what do I do? So here's what I big rev do in those moments. I come in 
And I just, rather than, you know, throwing some holy water or whatever, rather than doing all that kind of crazy stuff, I come in and literally I read Ephesians 6. I read the armor of God passage. And I just, I just read it verbally and out loud and in the room, I say, all right, tell me where you're feeling the activity. Fine. I'll go where you want me to go. That's fine. But, but, but then I read this out loud. I proclaim the truths of the gospel because really I can't proclaim any power on my own. I can't say, okay, I cast thee out. I can't do any of that stuff. All I can do is proclaim the power of Christ and what he's accomplished. So I just clearly give the gospel to the family and in their house. I read this armor of God and I tell them, do you have any special magical prayers for us to pray? I say, I don't, but I tell you what, if you want, if you need something like that, I, you, you may do this. You may take Ephesians 6 and you may read that out loud. Verses 10 to 20, you can read that out loud as many times as you want. And that is because you're proclaiming God and you're standing firm. You're proclaiming Christ's power. And so, and then when they ask me to pray, I'll pray in Jesus' name, but, but I'm praying the gospel. That's the, that's essentially what I'm doing, that I don't walk around like some kind of, you know, robotic Hollywood priest, you know, throwing holy water bombs at people. No, but whenever I'm asked to go do something like that, I bring with me the armor of God, of course, and Ephesians 6. Like this chapter, that's how that's how we view it, because we're standing firm in his power, yeah. not in anyone else's. But we close here with 21 to 24. And let me get there real quick. Okay. So that you also may know how I am and how I and what I am doing. Um, Tychicus, Tychicus, we'll say Tychicus. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Amen. Amen. Book of Ephesians. All right. So we we're landing the plane here with some personal greetings. It sounds like Tychicus had a pivotal ministry. This was something here. What, what was he doing? He was, sounds like he was doing more than just being the courier carrying the letter. Yeah. Uh, his, his pivotal ministry was to inform, but also to encourage in doing so. The point of this information is not just so here's the information, you know, have at it. No, the point of it is to encourage us in, in doing so. And, you know, I was just kind of thinking about this a little bit. It's like, yeah, why didn't he just write it all down? I'll tell you why. Think about it. First of all, it would ramble on longer than it needs to. Mm. And, 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 you know, I was just thinking, I sent a message earlier today because I'm going to be visiting another relative. And I'm like, let me send them a message just to kind of give them a primer. And then I also called them just to follow up on it so they can hear what it is in and, 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 and better detail. And, and sometimes even you and I in our communications in the texting back and forth, we do the same thing with the point like, hey, let's actually talk instead. And we get there. So, I mean, the point of this is to inform them about all the good things that were going on, you know, about Roman soldiers who were responding. And we're going to see this. Uh, it's in the book of uh, in the book of Philippians, where Paul tells us that the Roman soldiers were responding to his witness there. And, I'm, and I would imagine that that's one of the things that 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 Tychicus was, was informing here. And so this was probably encouraging, hey, you know, don't get bummed by Paul being in prison. You know, these things are going on as well. You know, things are happening. Right. One, one of the things the Roman world, I was actually shocked to find this out. One of the things the Roman world had, they had a post. Like you mm -hmm. could, they had a, some sort of a mail service. Paul theoretically could have used the, the post office of his day. The Romans built roads and they had a, like a courier service. He could have used that. And it would have been under armed guard. It would have gotten safely to wherever it was because Rome thrived on order. Paul could have done that. Instead, he had Tychicus do it. 
because yeah. he wanted to have someone who could give a personal ministry of encouragement. So we can be like Tychicus. We can have, yeah. we can be encouragers. We can That's be, right. should be people that bring encouragement to a situation. And that encouragement may require exhortation. It may require, you know, bearing one another's burdens. Paul's talked about in this letter mm -hmm. and confronting each other yep. in love and truth and love. Okay. It may require that, but a personal ministry of encouragement, he he gave Tychicus. And for those of you who are, um, who are New Testament scholars, you'll recognize that Tychicus is in the New Testament a few times. I mm -hmm. believe he was he, Paul was going to send him down to replace Titus in Crete with him. I mean, this is this is a serious guy here. This is not just some throwaway guy. Yeah, I think his name, I think we mentioned it earlier that I think it was also in Colossians that he's in the, the letter yeah. as well. So yeah. this is this is this is one of Paul's guys he depends yeah. upon. And maybe one of the reasons why he depends upon him because he is an encourager. Yeah. And he's actually going to go and be pastoral as he yeah. brings this letter. And I think that's a great thing. Yeah, and it's a good illustration for us as well. I mean, think about it. His first missionary par partner was Barnabas, the encourager. I mean, amen. Yeah. So, so Professor Paul Dean, someone who offset his qualities, probably. Amen. Paul lands the plane here with a personal greeting and final greeting. How does he do so? Well, Paul ends the letter with peace, love, and grace. His standards, usual closer. But, but the, the whole point of all this is that what peace, love, and grace. It all comes from God. So he ends this on a high note, encouraging all believers, starting with the Ephesian church and going on to, to even us today. Mm. It's Amen. still applicable. It is still applicable. Well, as, as we as we do, we always have closing thoughts with our lesson. And then and then because we're ending a book today, we're going to have a book closing thoughts. So, Professor yeah. D, would you uh, land the plane? What what are your closing thoughts? For Ephesians chapter 6. I mean, for Ephesians 6, it's that God is our strength. Salvation and Christian living is only possible through our sponsor, which is God. You know, verse 10, we cannot make a, a, a we cannot stand firm against the enemy's attack if we're not, if we're outside of God. We have to be in Christ. You know, we, everything we do as Christians, the whole Christian experience is about depending reliance on God. Hmm. Amen. Yeah, what stands out for me in this chapter is the self the self restraint, and this mm. really goes back to the last this is chapter five as well because it's, mm. it's kind of all one big argument here. Yeah. The, the self restraint of the husband, yeah. the self restraint of the father, and the yeah. self restraint of the master, and so that that stands out to me because it's it's a form of submission as well. Yeah, it's, it's for the. The, the, the wives, the kids, the, the slaves, they need to submit to, to the ones who are over them. But you know, what really stands out to me as a man is when, when he talks to the husbands and the fathers yeah. and the slave owner. Well, not for me, yeah. not so much the slave owners, but, but, but that idea of self-denial and just yeah. self-restraint. And so as a guy in a Roman world, it was all about the power of might and men. And this is about self-restraint. So when Jesus says to deny the self, that this is a self-denier. And yeah. this is a, is a self-denial moment. That really stands out to me as a husband. I to to be driven by living my living in a way that is sacrificial. Yeah. And as a father, living to 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 res, be restrained for the sake of the yeah. kids. I mean, there's I, something about that. Yeah, I'm a big Superman fan. And people ask, what's his greatest power? His vulnerability, his strength, his flight. And I said, no, his greatest power has always been his restraint. He has the power of a god. And yet he doesn't use it to rule the world. 
that and so we've said that about superman in the past you know now mind you superman's not real but yeah restraint is is a great power jesus ex exercised that restraint you know in his darkest hour and that is jesus's greatest superpower right there and that, that can only happen when you believe in someone like god when you can trust someone like god so professor d how do you how do you land the plane on the book of ephesians as a whole wow. Yeah, so while I believe that the point of uh, Ephesians is about unity in Christ, and I've stressed that throughout our series, and, and, and the importance, uh, you know, and, and while I'm also grateful to those two words from Ephesians 2.4, but God, you know, I'm going to go back to Ephesians 1.4, where it says that God chose me. God chose us in Jesus before creation itself. That choice of God, based purely on God's love for me, that 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 the Spirit, the Spirit has been using that to really drive home the, the point of like, it, it it creates in me a sense of um of awe and worship because God chose me. You know, He loved me first because He loved me first. Now I'm able to do, love others. I can love Him back. I can love my neighbor as myself, even love my enemies. It's all because God chose me. And, and I'm like, and I'm so glad it stands on his choice because God never changes his mind. Mm. And, Amen. I, and, and I am so, I, I've really learned to be very grateful about that. It, it is the greatest assurance for my salvation. And at the same time, it's the greatest inspiration for my Christian living. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad you said that because that, that's obviously the biggest takeaway of the book. Um, but it has it has an addendum. And I'll, I'll, I'll land, since you, since you land to the plane with that, I'll extend the runway just a little bit longer and add this. So there is uh, Ephesians 4. So Paul's a prisoner. He's, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace and the oneness and unity there. So Mick's exactly right. We're here. The main point of Ephesians, you know, Paul keeps bringing up the heavenly realms and, the, and, and what's going on. And the, you, you've now been seated. You, you, there's a certainty about mm -hmm. what God has done, his choice. He, this isn't about you and your works, but okay. But now that you're on God's team, so if that's where Mick's going to land the plane, here's how we're going to extend the runway. Now that you're on God's team, here's how you are on God's team. Here's how you can exist. Be this way. Wear the uniform of God. This is what yeah. it is. It's like walk in this manner. So I don't know why God called you and me. I have no idea why God chose me, why God gave me grace. I have no idea. But the fact that he did. Yeah. You are now being called to a calling. Now live a life worthy of that calling. Yeah. So now the rest of the book unfolds with how you are to live that life yeah. as a husband or wife or as a son or daughter or whatever it is. You, you are to live a life a certain way that glorifies God who has already achieved that victory in the heavenly realms. That's right. And with that very certainty, we live this life. We're unified together and we, we march along as fellow soldiers for his glory. Amen. What a book, my friend. Thank you so much, yeah. Professor D. All the way this morning from Puerto Rico in a That's different right. time zone even. That's right. What, what, what a morning we have. We did this all within an hour. I'm so proud of us. Uh, <laughs> this has been Masterclass Theology from Ephesians chapter 6. As always, I'm Big Rev. And I'm Professor D. Thanks for joining us this morning. We'll, we'll, we'll start next week with the wonderful book, 
of Philippians. God bless. Amen. This has been Masterclass Theology. I pray you've been challenged and encouraged during today's episode, and I hope you'll continue to join us as we journey through the Bible. God bless.